Giannis, 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, you remember my comments last week about the wedding and the speech that was given at the wedding that was very baseball-themed? Yes. Well, I brought that up that I brought up on the podcast that I told that story with the person who got married, and he was like, oh, you got to send me a link. And I was like, ooh. And I sent him the link. <laughs> And uh, I was uh, very concerned. I, had, I told him it, it comes from a place of love because we yeah. weren't critical. I wasn't critical of the guy. Well, but I think for somebody who was participating in said wedding, yeah, it maybe, it, maybe it would feel a little the critical. The best day of his life, and he doesn't want any kind of... And right, and we're just yeah. dunking on him he took it on this unrelated podcast. It, yeah, and it wasn't him who gave the speech, keep in mind. Right. It was the whoever was saying the, the wedding. Uh, but he took it very well. So if you haven't heard that, uh, go back and, and do that because... Uh, it was a good time, but he took it well. Is the important he part. He took it. He took it very well. It, at least pretended to. Right. So that's that's the good part. Brendan, we are going to be talking about the Orioles today as they travel to St. Louis for the first time since 2003. That's so weird. It's bizarre. Yeah. They have not played at this Bush Stadium. They played at the old Bush Stadium. This Bush Stadium was built three years after they played for the last time in St. Louis. Very strange and. I can't imagine that they there are a ton of Orioles fans in St. Louis. Maybe there are. If you are an Orioles fan in St. Louis, say hi. Let us know that you exist. But it's still strange that a team just hasn't played somewhere in that many years, which is leading me to be a little bit excited about the schedule changes coming over the next few years where teams will start to play each other a lot more than we've seen in the past. Yeah, I mean... Interleague play has evolved quite a lot over the past few decades. It did not used to be a big thing. And then, remember, it used to only be a couple weeks between May and June. And you would only play certain teams. And it was very rare that you would see certain teams. And because you had to split the home and away, it was... You would play in one city one year. And then three or five or six years later, you would play in the other city. And they were supposed to play in St. Louis in April 2020, and then the, the pandemic changed that. So it was supposed to happen a couple of years ago, but I entirely agree with you, Brendan. This scheduling change needed to happen a long time ago because it's an antiquated system to not have – you have a, a league with 30 teams, and you have 162 opportunities for these teams to meet. And in order to grow the game on a – bigger level and to make sure that the stars get seen in every single market you got to make sure that these teams travel to cities and they don't they won't travel to every city every year but they'll face every team every year and in theory they'll travel to every city every other year so in a span of two years the Orioles will get to play in every other major league city yeah I mean it's it's good for baseball yeah I mean here at Camden Yards I got to go watch Shohei Otani pitch last year that was awesome that's what the game needs to be about. Because even if you are not an Orioles fan in St. Louis, 
maybe there's somebody on the Orioles, like a Cedric Mullins or an Austin Hayes, who we're going to talk about, that you're excited to yeah. see. You've never seen them play before, and you want to go see them, and you haven't had the opportunity to see anybody on the Orioles since 2003. Yeah, so since good for the game. That's that's 19 years. I mean, yeah. you're having an entire, the Orioles have had an entire roster turnover in the past five years, let alone 19 years. Right. So it's not even remotely the same teams or same game at right. all. They had Jay Gibbons and Melvin Moore, I believe, in the outfield. The last Albert time. Pools was in the outfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Albert Pools is still on that team, Just but not certainly not, not playing that field. Exactly. <laughs> uh, before we get into Austin Hayes, which you just teased, because the guy is on an all-time heater. Let's talk about D.L. Hall and Adley Rutschman because we went down to see him in Bowie a week ago and literally as on Thursday, I went to go see D.L. Hall pitch and as I'm driving back to Baltimore, uh, they both got promoted Yeah, on their way from Bowie to Norfolk. Well, Adley was dominating. There was obviously no reason to keep Adley Rutschman in Bowie for any longer than he needed to be. I'm a little surprised that he only got three games there, but I think it makes sense. I mean, look, He's Adley Rutschman. He doesn't need a ton of seasoning at double-A Bowie. Clearly, the level of competition is not where Adley Rutschman is at right now. And if he really needs to get his timing back and face some better pitching and be ready for the major league level, Norfolk is obviously the place to do that. So he gets just one series in Aberdeen, just one series in Bowie, and then he's going to have a little bit of a longer stretch in Norfolk. But Paul, you and I are kind of guessing that it will not be a very long stretch in AAA Norfolk. Yeah, I mean, they gave him a full week in Aberdeen, which is why I think we assumed that they would give him a full week in Bowie. Right. And they just gave him that one series. Some people were thinking maybe the Orioles were playing 4D chess with the incredible monsoon that the Baltimore-Norfolk area experienced over the weekend that cut out all these games and pushed them back, that maybe they were trying to make sure that Adley avoided that rain and send him to Norfolk where there was no rain. It could have been that, so that he was getting more games under his belt as opposed to just sitting out the rain. But also, like you said, this could be a very short stay in Norfolk. And if they intend to bring him up for the next homestand, which we both think is a strong possibility giving him about a week's worth of games or, you know, 10 days worth of games in Norfolk before they call him up would probably be more beneficial than giving him a week in Bowie and then a week in Norfolk. Right. Look, talent-wise, there's no debate that Adley Rutschman is ready for the major leagues at this point. This is essentially just kind of a compressed spring training, which he didn't get to have. It's spring training slash rehab. Right. Because he needs to get his timing back. It wouldn't make sense to promote him directly to the big leagues without having any of this work in the minors. Right. This is just his spring training, and it's coming a month later. Does this change your prediction date for when Adley will make his debut? We both said on last podcast we think he's going to debut at the next homestand, which starts on Monday. You, I believe, said he would debut on Friday against the New York Yankees. Uh, Friday against the Rays. They open up a series against the Tampa Bay Rays, but it does because honestly, I expected him to spend a little bit more time at Bowie. I didn't think he was going to get to Norfolk this quickly. And now that he's at Norfolk already, you and I are looking at the tide schedule and they have a road trip starting the 17th, which is Tuesday. Do you want to send Adley Rutschman on a road trip? Granted, it's in Charlotte, so it's not a long road trip from Norfolk. So it's not like his travel plans would change all that drastically. But I just don't know if you'd want to send Adley on a road trip. Yeah. Do you want to send him on the bus? Right. All the way down and instead of just having him come right to Baltimore. But if you're going to call him, if you don't want to send him on that road trip, then you might as well be playing him. 
Right. If you're going to send the bus somewhere, just send it north instead of south. Yeah. So real inside baseball, they start that homestand on a Monday and they have a game that night. The road trip for Norfolk begins the next day on that Tuesday. So there's going to be an interesting decision to be made there as to whether you send him on that road trip, send him down for a few games. He flies out of Charlotte and comes back up to Baltimore, or if he ends up just taking going directly from Norfolk up to Baltimore and skips out skips the road trip entirely. Well, Norfolk also has an off day on Monday. You're right. Exactly. So so we could take that as a travel day. Right. So they could end their series on Sunday and then have that as the travel day be up to Baltimore game on Monday. Bada bing, bada boom. A lot of people are going to be watching Adley Rutschman's Instagram story very yes. closely, I feel like. And to me, there's people no- are going to do like the flight trackers. And yes. Oh, there's going to be a lot of flight trackers. A lot of flight trackers. The the thing that I have no doubt about in my mind, Brendan, is that Mike Elias knows exactly which day Adley Rutschman is going and to be. And he is up. not telling He's us. He's not telling anybody. No. Uh, it's going to be exciting, though. I was talking to an Orioles fan yesterday, and he was talking about which game to come up to during that homestand. I said, Look, get tickets for every single game <laughs> yeah, because you don't know at this point. And once the news comes out about which day he's going to debut, those tickets are going to be gone. Oh, yeah. So, and I mean, Monday is probably already it's the Yankees. It's right. going to be a decently big crowd because Yankees fans travel yeah. very well. There's going to be a lot of people in the stands already. And then add in the fact that maybe Adley Rutschman is going to debut. It seems like a lot of Orioles fans are kind of trying to guess when he's going to debut ahead of time because you're just trying to get the tickets already before it gets announced so if you're trying to guess what we're telling you is we have no inside info no please exact day please do not buy tickets based on what we're based on what we were saying and then blame us when it's wrong yes however i think we both would bet on that series that that homestand, at least. Whether I think it's, it's the series against the Yankees or the series against the Rays. Right. My guess is either Monday or Friday. I know that we will have complete coverage. Oh, we will. Mass and all access. We're going to try to do a show when he comes up, and we will, of course, have an emergency podcast. Exciting stuff. DL Hall will take a little bit longer, as we said on our last podcast, but he's a year older than Grayson Rodriguez. Grayson Rodriguez, by the way, he had a couple rough starts in Norfolk. He smoothed that out in his last start. Had five and a third scoreless innings the last time he pitched. DL and Grayson pretty much on the same footing at this point and both angling to come up to Baltimore soon. Yeah, again, was a little surprised that DL got the call to Norfolk as quickly as he did, especially because he didn't have any experience at AAA Norfolk last season due to injury and didn't look incredibly sharp in his buoy start. Uh, he was still very good. Oh, no, it's he, still, looked, he looked great. It's I still mean, DL Hall. He, he was hitting 100 at multiple opportunities. Right. He... Did not. I think he threw two balls in the first two innings. So the command is there. So I think the the stats kind of didn't tell the full picture of how good he looked. He was making those hitters look silly, and it wasn't until Adley Rutschman kind of laughed it off. It wasn't until he got into the fourth inning or third or fourth inning where he a couple guys got a couple lucky hits. Then they pull DL Hall with two outs because of pitch limit. Right. And then they bring in somebody who ends up giving in. I believe it was Tyler Birch, the ghost of uh, Freddie Galvis. I call him. Uh, and Tyler Birch gives up the inherited run. So he could have gotten out with a, a scoreless start in Bowie, but yes. he, a couple inherited runners scored. So I think he looked a lot better than the stats indicated. Yeah, he cruised for three innings. The fourth inning was the only place where the he ran inning, into yeah. even moderate trouble. But again, he still looked great. He still struck out six, didn't walk anybody. So D.L. Hall, 
or excuse me, he did have one walk. One walk, yeah. So if again, if the plan is just to extend him, then you would want to do it at Norfolk, where clearly the level of competition at Double A is not yeah. at the caliber where you're really finding much benefit for DL Hall there. So extend him and challenge him a little bit more at Triple A Norfolk. Two birds, one stone. It's also very good to see because. The last time we saw him in Bowie, he was very good, but he still had some issues with walks. He was still walking about four-plus batters per nine. Again, that was a full year ago. That was back in 2021 when he had the season shut down quickly. But it's good to see that within that year, even though he was not pitching for a lot of that time, he clearly progressed. And Michael Elias has also talked about back in spring training, he talked about his mental progression too, learning how to pitch, learning how to throw to guys. You can clearly see that. And so he has moved beyond. He's always had the stuff, but now he has the mental acuity to the point where he is way past the double-A level. Yeah, and I think the mental progression is really interesting because when you talk to D.L. Hall about the walks and about his command, he's really always said he doesn't think he has command issues. Right. That's kind of been the knock on him, if you want to find any knock for D.L. Hall in the minors so far, is that he's been walking a lot of guys. And his response is always, well, I'm just trying to get guys to chase, and occasionally yes. they don't chase. Right. That's the spot I wanted the ball to go. The guys just aren't chasing yeah. all the time, and that's why the walk numbers were a little bit higher. So he's never really thought he had command issues. He's just trying to get guys to chase out of the zone. And it seems like this year, like you said, with that mental progression, he's understood a little bit more that, okay, I have the stuff to throw it in the zone and guys are still going to miss. Right. Yeah. And because of how good his fastball is, because right. of how good his changeup is, it's not going to be a hittable pitch regardless of where it's put almost. I mean, you know, once you get to the big league level, then you're going to really have to worry about hitting your spots exactly. But hitting his spots is not the issue, like you said, Brendan. It's more learning where to throw those pitches, Yeah, not about the, his ability to hit his spots. You could throw 100 in the zone and just dare people to hit it. Right. They're not going to. Well, double A, they're definitely not going right. to. Triple A, they're start going to start to be able to, but not as much. Yeah. Uh, and then up to Baltimore is going to be the biggest test. Right. And I think it'll be interesting to see how DL Hall performs in Norfolk, Look, we know how Adley Rutschman is going to perform there because he is very clearly Major League ready, whereas D.L. Hall, we've never seen him in right. Norfolk before. So, yes, this is still kind of a rehab for D.L. Hall, but I think you can kind of end calling it a rehab. Yes, right. he's still going to need to get ramped up. He's still going to be on a pitch limit, but he's at the spot in the minor league system where he probably would have been to start this year yeah. had it not been for the injury last season. I'm just thinking ahead not too far, to next week when Adley comes up. The Orioles right now are playing good baseball. They're 12-17. and 17. They're not last in the division. That no, they're not. to the Boston Red Sox, and there's a little bit of a gap there, a couple-game gap. Yeah, they're two games up on the Red Sox right so now. So they're playing good baseball. I know they haven't been playing incredible opponents. You know, the Royals are not one of the better teams in baseball, and they made them look like that over the weekend. But even so you still need to beat the teams that you are supposed to be, yeah. even if you're not a great team. I mean, the Orioles beat are the not teams on your schedule, right? Yeah. You're not competing for the division right now, but the Orioles are beating teams that are pretty clearly worse than them. I'm just looking at the lineups every day and I'm seeing Austin Hayes. who We're going to talk about in a bit hitting out of his mind. Trey Mancini's hitting 280, And finally that bad luck is starting to turn around. 
Cedric Mullins is doing just fine at this point. He's starting to turn around after a very slow start. Jorge Mateo has that speed element at the end of the lineup. Anthony Santander is still walking a ton. Now take that core and add Adley Rutschman into the middle of that lineup with Mount Castle, with Hayes, with Mancini, with Mullins. Mount Castle isn't even hitting all that well right now. He's turning it around. Right. He had a pretty good series against the Royals. And as he continues to turn it around like he did last year, that's really good. I mean, I imagine... Mean, you, that the, just changes the dynamic of the lineup entirely. Right. Adding Adley, because the the top half of the lineup is not the issue. It's very clearly six through nine. Right. So adding Adley and bumping somebody out changes that entirely, whether, you know, bumping Chirinos or Ben Boom out. Well, Chirinos, again, has still looked decent in his left-handed hitting splits, and he will be able to go back into that role a little better. Right. He's Yeah, he's more suited as a backup at this right. point. Which yeah. is what he should be. But the one through five, I mean, you could have Mullins, Hayes, Rutschman, Mountcastle, Mancini. Yeah. In whatever order you feel like. Right. That's a good one through five. Yeah. With Mateo adding some speed at the end of the lineup, where right. they bat him ninth to turn over the lineup and go back to Mullins. It's exciting. Yeah. With... I mean, Ramon Arias, again, another guy who has run into some bad luck. I think his numbers are going to turn around a little bit. Yep. There's hitters everywhere. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about one of those hitters, Austin Hayes. Yeah. The best of those hitters at this time. He's hitting 327, three homers, a 403 on base percentage. And we're going to talk about where he fits into the Orioles' plans long term. We know that they, the Orioles, have a glut of outfield prospects. They have a couple down in AAA were incredibly exciting. Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom, Ryan McKenna obviously is, you know, still marinating back in AAA. Then you go down to the lower levels of the minors. They have top five pick Colton Kowser. They have Heston Kerstad, who they're hoping will return from injury within the next few weeks. They're loaded in terms of outfielders, not even to mention the Yusniel Diaz's of the world, of those second-tier outfield prospects. The competition is going to be nipping at the heels of anybody who's playing in the outfield for the Orioles over the next couple of years. And Austin Hayes is auditioning for this front office as a member of the future Orioles. And at a time when he needs to play great, he's playing great. Yeah, and look, we talk about the outfield of the future, and Cedric Mullins is somebody who, in our minds, is pretty much cemented in that going forward. Because of the season he had last year, Cedric Mullins is more than likely going to be your center fielder of the future unless he really falls off over the next few years. Michael I said he was playing like a face of the franchise type player last right. year. And if you want to look at the first 28 games for Cedric Mullins last season, 321 on base, 321 batting average, excuse me, Austin Hayes hasn't beat there. A 380 on base percentage, Austin Hayes hasn't beat there. An 894 OPS, Austin Hayes hasn't beat there has one more home run and the same amount of doubles. We started the season last year, and we could not stop talking about Cedric Mullins and how he was playing at an all-star caliber level and how he was quickly turning himself into somebody that you could no longer ignore. It was not a fluke for the first 30 games of the year. Austin Hayes has better numbers than Cedric Mullins had last season. The on-base percentage is way better. Austin Hayes is off to an even better start than Mullins was last year. And I think he is really cementing himself as a piece for the future. Because if we're going to talk about Cedric Mullins like this, I think we need to talk about Austin Hayes like this as well. The difference is sample size. It wasn't just that Cedric Mullins had a great first month, which he did. Right. It was that 
He then followed it up by hitting 380 with eight homers in the month of June in 2021. So in order for Hayes to prove it's not a fluke, he's got to continue to hit. He does. And Austin Hayes has always throughout his career, young career, he really has not played for all that long. He's only 26, turns 27 in July, has been streaky. We've seen his incredible Septembers. We've seen some not-so-great middle-of-the-summers. Last year, he had a 652 OPS in July and then a 921 OPS in September. The question is how much of that streakiness is because of his injury history. The guy has undergone several serious injuries over the course of his career, and he's played through a lot of injuries. You wonder if some of those dips in production that he's experienced has been because he's either injured under the surface or he's playing through pain. Right now, he's fully healthy, and we're seeing just how good he is. So if he can extend his streakiness and his hot streak into a quality May and then a quality June, then we're talking about a, a player on the on the level of Cedric Mullins. Because part of the excitement of our conversations about Mullins last year was Mullins doesn't even need to be this good at the plate. He doesn't need to go that hard at the plate, so to speak, because his defense is so elite, because he has so much speed on the base paths. But that was making him a much more valuable player. It's a similar conversation with Hayes. No, he does not have the range that Cedric Mullins does and the speed that Cedric Mullins does, but he has a much better arm. So to have a quality defensive outfielder and then add on top of that a great hitter makes him a very valuable player. So it's a it's a very similar conversation to the one that we were having about with Mullins last year. Right, and Austin Hayes could have a... 750 800 OPS and I think we'd be having not the exact same conversation because obviously the bat being this good kind of elevates him a little bit more but if Austin Hayes has an 800 OPS and is playing a very good defensive left field it's a similar conversation I think of whether or not Austin Hayes is a piece for the future right he's still a valuable player absolutely yeah and the reason I say that I don't think this is a fluke is because it's not like this has been the first two weeks of April Right. We've seen Austin Hayes be really, really good for the month of April, and now we're in May. He's hitting 500 over his last seven games. We're in May now. This is like We're not just a week or two into the season where those numbers can really be exaggerated. Yes, I know that it is still very early on in the season, but you can still look at those numbers and think that it is going to indicate a trend going forward. The thing that excites me the most about this trend and about the hot streak that he's on is the OBP and the plate discipline. That's been a knock on Hayes ever since he was a minor leaguer back in Bowie was he is a free swinger, and when he makes contact, he can make the ball go far, and he's got great power to the opposite field. He's got great doubles power, and he's has incredible bat-to-ball skills, but he chases a lot of pitches, and especially from right-handed pitchers. Last year, his on-base percentage was 308. Right now, it's 403. And a lot of that has to do with the increase in batting average. But he's walked 12 times so far in the first 28 games. He walked 28 times in 130-some games last year. So the walk numbers are a lot higher. And they have to continue to be that high if he's going to be a much better hitter. Because if he is chasing pitches and expanding the strike zone, that's going to make him much easier to pitch to. But the fact that he is taking more pitches and he's being a little bit more disciplined has me very excited about his potential. Yeah, and again, it is still early, so these numbers are subject to change. But last year, his walk percentage was right around 5%. He's currently more than doubled that. Yeah, it's over 10. Right. 
and that's incredibly encouraging. You also mentioned his improvement against right-handed pitching. He's currently hitting 364 against righties. At the beginning of the season, you and I on this podcast, I believe I was one of the ones who tossed out potentially having Kyle Stowers come up and hit against some righties replacing Austin Hayes in the lineup because at the beginning of the year and all throughout last year, Austin Hayes could not hit right-handed pitching. He was hitting 221 against righties last year and wasn't great against righties to start this season, but he's hitting 364 right now. And the funny thing is, his splits have kind of reversed. They've almost exactly reversed. He's currently hitting 222 against lefties, which I highly doubt is going to stay that low throughout the entire season because throughout his career, he has shown that he is better at hitting left-handed pitchers than he is against hitting right-handed pitchers. So even if he gets that batting average up to 280 and the right-handed pitcher batting average maybe goes down from 364 to 280. I mean, look, if he hits 280 against both pitchers, it's very strange that his, yeah. his splits have reversed like that. And it feel like it's, a very, it's again, a flashback. I'm having flashbacks to our Mullins conversations last year because, remember, Mullins' splits were awful because when he was a switch hitter. And then, all of a sudden, his his splits split. Shifted. Switch. Oh, my God. There it is. Splits, Ooh. switch. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Tongue twister. And he still continued to hit left-handed pitching pretty well which was surprising because he became an exclusive left-handed hitter. I don't think that 221 batting average, like we said, against lefties is going to be that low, but I do wonder what the cause of it is. It could be just that he's facing more difficult lefties through the first month of the season, and I think that's partly why, you know, we should take a little bit of, you know, a pause when we look at these numbers and not expect him to be carrying a 327 batting average throughout the season because of the small sample size. But it's bizarre to see him go from hitting 221 against righties last year and much better against lefties to now hitting 222 against lefties and hitting much better against righties. Yeah, and the Cedric Mullins conversation last season was a lot easier because there was something huge to point to because when you looked at yeah, what a, the difference was... Change. Yeah. right? you didn't really have to look very hard to ask what the difference was with Cedric Mullins. He abandoned switch hitting and was able to put his entire focus into hitting left-handed into focusing on just that swing. That was the obvious change for Cedric Mullins that led to a lot of improvements. Austin Hayes doesn't have a glaring change like that. He didn't all of a sudden abandon hitting from one side of the plate With Austin Hayes, the changes are a lot more subtle. You mentioned the walk percentage. His line drive percentage is way up. His ground ball percentage is a little bit down, which indicates that he's just barreling a lot more baseballs. And as Wesley on Facebook points out, he's barreling them to all fields. His percentage of balls hit up the middle has increased. His percentage of balls hit to the opposite field has increased as well. Yeah. Brandon Hyde specifically mentioned after yesterday's game how the righties in the Orioles lineup do a very good job of hitting the ball the opposite way. Mancini, Mountcastle, Hayes especially, those three guys. Austin Hayes throughout his career has always been very good at hitting the ball back up the middle and occasionally hitting it to the right side, which is what you want to see from an outfielder who is not necessarily a huge power threat. You tend to think of the huge power threats being big pole guys, and if you're not going to be delivering 30, 35 homers a year, you got to be able to hit the ball the opposite way. 
Right now, Cedric or right now, Austin Hayes, excuse me, is hitting forty-two percent of balls up the middle and twenty-six percent to the opposite field. Those are good numbers in twenty twenty-two. So the fact that he's spraying the ball to all fields is a very good sign as well. Absolutely. And one other kind of advanced stat that I want to point out, the percentage of balls that he's swinging at outside of the strike zone, you would assume has gone down because of the increased walk percentage, but it's stayed about the same. The thing that's changed is the percentage of strikes that he's swinging at, which has increased. And you have to think that that has to be maybe, I mean, this is just kind of the assumption that that is an organizational philosophy change because everywhere in the minors, you hear about swing decisions. And the fact that the percentage of strikes that Austin Hayes is swinging at has gone up indicates to me that this is an organizational change where the swing decisions are now such a big emphasis that it's making a difference. I think you can't discount the Matt Borg-Schulte, Ryan Fuller effect. Absolutely. Here, because we've seen improvements from a few hitters in the lineup, and ultimately, you can draft all the great players you want. You can trade for all the great players you want. Development is just as much a part of finding success in the big leagues as acquiring that talent. So for the Orioles to develop these players into quality players, you have to have great coaches in place We've seen them promote coaches throughout the minor league system where they see success. They take a Buck Britton and they promote him all the way up to AAA. They do the same with Kyle Moore up to AA Bowie. And now we're seeing Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde get the coaches that they want in place on the big league staff. And it's taken them a couple years to fully put together a staff that they like. But we're seeing the Chris Holt effect with the pitchers. We're seeing several guys make noticeable changes. I'm looking at that bullpen in particular the kind of changes that Jorge Lopez has made, the kind of changes that we've seen from some of the guys that we did not think a whole lot of, to be completely honest. Bruce Zimmerman has made noticeable strides because of the way that he is pitching and because of which pitches he's throwing when and the development of those pitches. We're seeing a similar effect with Matt Borg-Schulte and Ryan Fuller as the co-hitting coaches. Yeah, absolutely. And Brandon Hyde has said that the players have really loved Fuller and Borg-Schulte. Yeah. They are loving the information that they are getting before games. They feel incredibly prepared going against pitchers. And the results weren't coming there as much as you saw in April. And Brandon Hyde kind of jokingly said that Fuller and Borg-Schulte were kind of living and dying on every at-bat because they're putting in so much work. And we are now finally, as we get into May are seeing the results of that and this kind of breaks into a larger conversation that we don't need to have right now about Brandon Hyde but when you look at his potential future I think it says a lot that Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias have been able to create a coaching staff that really seems like it's taking players that were seen in the past as kind of good major league players not great major league players complimentary pieces right complimentary pieces that you didn't really look at as long-term future rebuild guys like Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, maybe even a Bruce Zimmerman falls into that category now. Look at what Jorge Mateo is doing. Absolutely. It's been been able to take some of those fringe guys and turn them into serious pieces going forward that you at least have to look at and say, okay, maybe they've worked their way into the conversation of being a future piece. And yes, that has a lot to do with the player themselves, but I think also the coaches are a large contributor to that. And that's a huge factor going forward and a huge benefit to have because of the number of prospects that we're going to see debut over the coming 12, 18 months. 
having a coaching staff that you can rely on to develop these players is going to be important as well. I do want to talk about Austin Hayes' long-term future and where that where he fits in with the Orioles, but I am seeing a lot of comments about Cedric Mullins. We were concerned about Mullins through the first week of the season. Probably you more so than I, I would say. I wouldn't say concerned. I think I was just, like, I was assuming that his numbers would not be the same as they were last year because yeah. Cedric Mullins is not surprising anybody anymore. I wouldn't say concerned. I think my concern meter went from not concerned at all to like maybe a tiny bit. And 5%. that was the furthest it got. Right. On one of those scales like the doctor has, like how much pain are you in? And you've got the faces that get increasingly worse. Right. It went from a zero to a one. Okay. But I don't think it ever got higher than that. Well, the fans appear to be concerned based off the Facebook comments. And I'm not personally. I wasn't expecting a 30-30 season, which I don't expect us to get. I do see a little bit of selling out for power, perhaps, from Cedric Mullins. And we know that he's bulked up his body a little bit more and that his swing appears to be more of a... There appear to be more holes in his swing right now than there were at this point last year. And I think that he's a little bit less concerned about contact and a little bit more concerned about power. And I think that's probably a mentality thing. Maybe it's some kind of thing with his swing and, you know, his mechanics. But I, I could definitely see you're coming off an incredible all-star season. You want to follow that up. You have a little bit of pressure on you. You want to drive the ball out of the ballpark 30 more times. I think if he goes back to being more of a doubles guy than a home run guy, then I think he'll kind of find similar successes last year. However, it's not like he's having a a horrific follow-up season to his great season last year. He's still hitting the ball pretty well. He's still driving the ball out of the ballpark and his Baseball reference war is almost as high as Austin Hayes right now because of what he brings in the outfield, the speed, and the speed on the base paths. Yeah, he has a war of one playing a great defensive center field. And in the month of May, he's improving. In the eight games so far in May, he has a 306 batting average, a 556 slugging percentage, and an 880 OPS. So, yes, he started the season slow. I think, like you said, the pressure of kind of being the guy now Cedric Mullins came into the 2021 season as somebody that you were hoping would be a good fourth outfielder and he comes into the 2022 season as somebody that fans and whoever alike are assuming is going to be an all-star he's he's your jersey buying guy right you know you're seeing his jersey in the ballpark whereas a year ago you would never see Cedric Mullins jersey in the ballpark and I think At the beginning of the season, like you mentioned, he's probably pressing. He's putting that pressure on himself. And now he's playing a little bit more freely, it seems. And in the month of May, he's been improving. So I think, if anything, my level of concern from the beginning of the season has gone from a one back down to a zero. Because even if Cedric Mullins has a 750 OPS this year, he's still going to be a very valuable player because that's a, a decent hitting year. And it's going to be a great defensive year. Also, they played one month of the season, and you said his baseball reference war is one. Extrapolate that out. That's a six-war season. That's a almost really exactly good. what he had last year. Right. So he's still producing. And I saw some comments. Teams have figured him out. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. He still is producing, just not as much as what he had last year. And I think pr- the pressure is going to be lessened on him as the season goes on because we're going to see Adley Rutschman take a little bit of more attention off of him. We're going to see some of these guys debut and that lineup is going to get better and it's going to make 
it's so that he doesn't have to produce to the level that he did last year. Yeah, I think figuring him out, I think there's a very large difference between teams figuring Cedric Mullins out and not being surprised by Cedric Mullins right. anymore. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in their scouting report. Yeah, I mean, you didn't, more than likely, didn't game plan for him all that much last year because you until didn't mid-season. think he was going to be that much of a factor. Yeah. Now, Cedric Mullins is arguably the factor right. in this Orioles lineup. All right, let's get back to Hayes real quickly because yeah. he's 26. He turns 27 in July. He is not arbitration eligible until this coming offseason. Then he'll have those three years. I say ride this thing as far as it'll go. We saw what we saw with, from Cedric Mullins last year, and we were expecting those numbers to drop off. And like I said, he got to June, and then he hit 380 with eight homers. If Austin Hayes can continue this production, you don't worry – about the prospects that are nipping at his heels. You're worried about the superstar that you have in the big leagues right now. And I know that we want to see Colton Kowser and we want to see Kyle Stowers. But if you, you you have to see as far, how far Austin Hayes can take you and how good he can be before you can worry about where these prospects fit into the long-term plan. You're not going to move an Austin Hayes. You're not going to mess with anything that you have going well right now. You can't move a good player for the hope that a prospect will turn into a good player. If Kyle Stowers has the start to a season like Austin Hayes is having right now, that's a massive success for Kyle Huge Stowers. Huge success. And that is, if anybody is having that kind of start. And that's nothing against these prospects. I think guys like Kyle Stowers are hopefully going to have great careers in Baltimore for many years to come. But Austin Hayes is giving you that great career right now. And hopefully if he stays healthy and is continuing on this trend we've seen so far this season, he's going to have a really good season. As Trey Mancini said, an all-star caliber season. You can't get rid of an all-star caliber player for the hopes that Kyle Stowers turns into an all-star caliber player. Yeah. And it is an interesting conversation because the outfield in the minors is crowded. You have three outfielders, maybe even four that could play in Baltimore right now if you wanted them to. Between Ryan McKenna, Robert Newstrom, Kyle Stowers, and maybe Usniel Diaz, if you want to throw him into that conversation as well. And that's just this year. And then going forward, you have Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, John Rhodes has worked his way into that conversation as well. He is lighting the world on fire. So it's a really good problem to have, but you can't get rid of an all-star caliber player for the hopes that one of those guys turns in the kind of season that Austin Hayes is having right now. It's a different conversation than the Anthony Santander conversation. Santander is a little bit older. He's a little bit closer to free agency and he's not nearly as good in the outfield as Austin Hayes. And he's not hitting as well either. And right now he's not hitting as well. So when we talk about the odd man out in the outfield. The reason we point to Santander is because he does not have the athleticism, the speed, the defensive chops. Plus he's a little bit closer to free agency. So still, I mean, he's not hitting outstanding, but Anthony Santander is still hitting above average. He's still getting on base at a pretty high clip. He still could be the odd man out. If the Orioles want to create some room for a Kyle Stowers, to use Neil Diaz at some point, but it's going to be hard to move any one of these guys. And I think at this point, the way that, you know, obviously Mullins has established himself, Hayes is establishing himself. Santander almost has to be the odd man out because we're seeing great things from left field and center field. And I think Anthony Santander, while he's not playing fantastic baseball right now, he's still playing 
good enough baseball to the point where if you wanted to trade him to a team like the White Sox, who we keep bringing up because of the injuries that they've had in the outfield, the outfield help that they really need because they're throwing guys like Andrew Vaughn, who's a first baseman out in the outfield. Yeah. He still provides enough value to other teams where if you're the Orioles, maybe you try to capitalize on that value sooner rather than later trade him. You open up a spot for a Kyle Stowers or a Robert Newstrom, and you don't have to worry about extending Anthony Santander down the line because you'd rather worry about getting Kyle Stowers some reps in right field. Yeah. Just keep the train rolling at this point with Austin Hayes. Yeah. Just, just keep it going. And the biggest concern with Hayes has also been injuries. The right. hope is that he can stay healthy over the coming weeks and months so that the Orioles can truly look at him as a piece of the future. But this is the exciting part of the rebuild, in my opinion, where there aren't glaring holes for these prospects. I mean, right now, you look at the catcher position, there's a need for Adley Rutschman. Robinson Chirinos and Anthony Bemboom are not really getting it done at yeah. the major league level. You need an Adley Rutschman in that spot. Kyle Stowers is not really lighting the world on fire at AAA. Robert Newstrom is playing really well. But those are some prospects that you can wait on because you don't need them desperately at the major league level. And it turns into some really good scenarios down the line where maybe an Austin Hayes becomes a really, really quality fourth outfielder that you try to DH or work in whenever somebody needs an off day. Or Robert Newstrom becomes a great number four, number five. The depth is... I think is really exciting. It is. It's it's all very exciting. It is. <laughs> it's good stuff, and we hope that it, it continues because at this point next week, we're going to be talking probably about a superstar prospect making his debut. So to have good complementary pieces around an Adley Rutschman when he debuts, uh, Grayson Rodriguez when he comes up, a D.L. Hall, that is going to be what turns a, an exciting young team into a winning team. Right. I mean, look at the Houston Astros blueprint from years ago. You had the top prospects like Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman, but when they got to the major league level, they were joined by a Jose Altuve, a Dallas Keuchel, guys that you didn't think were going to be some of the top players on the team, but turned into incredibly valuable pieces to complement the top prospects. Absolutely. Well, we are excited, and uh, the Orioles are in St. Louis. You can catch them all week there before they eventually come home. Start getting your tickets now for that homestand. Like I said, pick any one of those games. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Of course, you can listen to or watch the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Please give us five stars on Spotify, a thumbs up on YouTube, a good review, positive review. We may even uh, read it on air if we get a good, good positive review. Maybe. We don't get many. Hopefully, the person who said that wedding won't come back and... Uh, you know, start chirping in our reviews, Brendan. Maybe. And say, that was a good wedding speech. How dare you? How Let's dare hope. you? How dare you? Honestly, how dare I? Thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing this podcast. We will be back at some point soon. Thanks so much for tuning in.